everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Alison Grunendike. So we have been in a great series on hearing God's voice, and you've heard from Amos the last three weeks talking about um, really the fact that God's voice is one of love and affection and not of condemnation. And we've also covered the fact that there are other voices out there talking to us, right? There's the voice of Satan or the devil, and in a lot of ways, the voice of the popular culture, which tells us the opposite of what God's heart is, and those voices can be in opposition to what God wants to do in the world. And then we have our own voice, right? God's voice is not my voice, and so we have to discern and differentiate, is this me just speaking into my mind, or is this actually the voice of God trying to get my attention? And last week, I think Amos mentioned uh, a verse out of James that said, when God speaks, if you doubt, you are like a wave that's tossed about on the sea back and forth. You're unstable. And I was reflecting on that and thinking, when was the last time that I actually like, physically experienced being tossed around on the water? And it was in Jamaica, of all places, on a family vacation. And Amos and I both have a little bit of experience sailing. Uh, and so he says, well, I'm pretty confident, like I can steer this thing. So let's just take out one of the catamarans because it's, we're at this all-inclusive resort. We've never done this before. You don't have to pay extra to get the boat. So we think, yeah, this is a great idea. So we hop in the catamaran, we're enjoying the scenery, the wind's in our hair, it's awesome, it's sunny, we're looking at you know, the, the wildlife around in, in the water, and then I'm like, okay, it's probably time to turn back, because you have to like tack back and forth on a sailboat, right? So Amos is like, all right, he, got, he tries, fail. We just keep blowing further down coast. We're going, to, and I'm like, okay, that's all right, you know, we'll, we'll get turned around eventually, I'm just enjoying it again. Here comes the wind again, okay, let's tack back. Fails again. Now we're not at our resort. Now we're down to the next resort down the coast because there's all the resorts lined up as you go down the shore, right? This happens like four or five more times, you guys. Like we just keep trying to turn and the wind is just, we're all the way down. I can't even see our dock at this point. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what we're gonna do. I don't have a cell phone to call someone to come get me. I don't have money to pay some person to come get me. Like, we're just sunk. We are just going to blow off off into oblivion, and no one's going to find us. And then I hear this hum of the speedboat racing down the shore, and they come up, and luckily, it's our rescue squad. And um, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't even know that we had one of these. Uh, And we're apologizing because we're super embarrassed, right? Like, you're supposed to sign this waiver that says, like, I know how to operate this boat. Um, And so, like, clearly we don't, right? Uh, And so we're super embarrassed. We say, we're so sorry you had to come get us. And the guys on the boat are like, no, this is a favorite part of our job. We love coming to rescue people because this thing has awesome horsepower. And so they just droop and they go as fast as they could and they came and rescued us. So I don't know if you guys have had that experience, but it is really vulnerable to feel like, I don't know how I'm going to get back to shore. And this, the sea is scary. And today we're going to look at a different kind of seafaring voyage. 
and hopefully try to tie together some of these themes of hearing God's voice in this kind of seemingly unlikely story, okay? And as I was preparing for this, I just, Acts 27 kept coming to my mind, and I thought, God, this is a really strange passage to read when we're talking about hearing your voice, but I hope that you'll see today, I'm just going to teach through the Bible, and we're just going to pull out these themes of how God speaks um, when we are facing storms. So if you have a Bible, you can open to Acts 27. If not, it should be up here on the screen. I'm going to use... Uh, the NLT, and this really is a long story, so I'm just going to set the stage for us a little bit, and then we'll jump into the text. So this takes place when Paul is on a ship sailing to Rome, and he is going to stand trial before Caesar for the crimes that he's been accused of. And you may be thinking, what are the crimes that he's been accused of? And what it is is he has been accused of defiling the temple by inviting people, the Gentiles, people who don't belong there, in. So this is like classic church planter, right? Paul is, he, he is going, he's giving his life to starting new faith communities, new churches, and they're saying, we need to shut this down. So he says, I need to go stand trial before Caesar because I'm a Roman citizen and I have the right to do this. And so he's on this boat, and the sailors are you know, considering the conditions of the sea and the weather, and they realize, like, we got to keep going. We're supposed to, we're supposed to dock here, but this is not a safe place to um, winter, so we need to push past this and get on to our destination. And Paul says, that's not wise. You're going to lose your cargo. You might, it's going to be very perilous. There's bad conditions. It's very dangerous. You shouldn't keep going. So this is where the story picks up. We're going to be in verse 13 here. And this is when the storm starts coming on. So it says, when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength called a nor'easter, we know what those are here, right? They burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and they let it run before the gale. Now, then we move on. We sailed along the sheltered side of the small island named Cauda, where, the great where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. The sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship, and they were driven before the wind." 18. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars, until at last all hope was gone. So, no one had eaten for a long time. They're distracted, right? They're trying to figure out how to get to their destination. And finally, Paul called the crew together. And he said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You should have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. 
For last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, stood beside me, and he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God, it will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on the island. Yeah. That sounds not like a lot of fun, right? So the story ends uh, with the sailors spotting the shore. They let go of their anchors, and the ship crashes into a shoal, breaks apart, But rather than killing the prisoners, which is what the soldiers on the ship were supposed to do, they instruct them, hey, those of you who can swim, jump in the water and swim to safety. And if you can't, hang on to the wreckage from the ship. Like, actually use the thing that broke apart on you, that that destroyed your plan, and use it to get safely to shore. So that's a crazy metaphor in and of itself that we don't have time to talk about today. Uh, But I think that... This story just really brilliantly illustrates some concepts about hearing God's voice. And when you look at this, you realize to hear God's voice, what we really need to know is how does he guide us, right? His voice is going to be consistent with his character, so we need to look at what are the ways that God guides his people. So how do I know it's God? We're going to hopefully be really practical here and just jump in, and I'm just going to point out a couple things that stood out to me as I read this text. So the first thing is that God guides in ways that are paradoxical. And if you've heard me talk before, I must have a thing for paradoxes because I keep coming back to these texts that have these two seemingly contradicting truths right next to each other, but they're actually both true at the same time, right? So your ship is going to strike land and crack apart and you're going to get where you need to go. So into my brain, that doesn't compute. Like the, the very vessel, I'm on the ocean, I'm, I'm in a ship, and I'm supposed to ride this boat, and it's going to break apart of me, we're going to crash it, and I'm still going to get where I'm supposed to go. Not logical, doesn't make any sense. The other interesting thing is we have these lifeboats, and they're being drugged behind the ship, and with great effort, these sailors are tying them onto the ship, but really, that's just their false sense of safety. That's their escape plan. And at one point in the story, the sailors actually pretend to drop anchors, but what they're really going for is the the lifeboat to escape, right? And then Paul tells them to stop. So when we're hearing God's voice, if we are, if you find yourself holding these two truths that are seemingly contradictory together, it's just an invitation to notice, hey, this is actually how God speaks a lot of the time. So maybe that's something to pay attention to. The next principle is that God speaks to the process, and he really cares about the process often much more than the outcome, right? So remember that ultimately God controls the outcomes, and so he, when he guides, he's not in a hurry. He is not in a hurry, and it often does not resolve or revolve around a timetable or something that we can measure out on our calendars. 
the sailors were eager to make their plans work, right? They, they had it calculated out, but they were feeling pressure. They were feeling this intense drivenness to get to their specific destination. And then what happened is the drivenness inside them, like we have to make this plan work, actually turned into real drivenness by the ocean. The sea was blowing them. And they pushed forward in spite of Paul's warning not to do that. They were being hasty. They were being impulsive. And then again in verse 20, it says, when neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Right? So they actually lost their navigational tools. The sun and the stars were things that you used to know where you were in relation to the land and where your boat was. And they're saying, we were in such a hurry to make this happen, and then the storm came, and we lost all of our tools. We had nothing to use to navigate. Does that sound like us sometimes? Can you relate to that feeling of, I pushed forward because I needed to make something happen for myself, and now I'm actually more disoriented. I've lost the guideposts. I've lost these pillars, these um, signs in my life that I use to make sense of what is the right way to go, the right path. And when that happens, we feel stagnant, we feel stuck, we feel like we're wavering. But actually, I think what God is inviting you into, if you're in that season, is a space of discernment. And what we mean by discernment is just a slow and steady work of God speaking to us to know what is the best path forward. We need to have wisdom, right? So if you have a sense of urgency and pressure, if you feel driven, I would just say that is probably not God. That is probably not God. And a, a helpful question that I have used as I've um, walked this out of my own life is right now in this moment, do I feel driven or do I feel drawn? Such a helpful question because the, the drivenness is the pressure, uh, the need to perform, the need to prove something that Amos was talking about, but that's not usually the voice of God. The voice of God is inviting. He's drawing. He's gentle. He's not opposing you. He's with you. And I think when we are in places where we're driven, then we go toward a loss of faith, hope, and love, and that is the desolation again that we've been talking about through this series. There's consolation moving toward an increase of faith, hope, and love, and then desolation where you're actually losing those things. All right, and another principle that I want us to look at is God guides in the present moment. So this seems obvious, right? But God can talk to you about the past. He can speak to you about your future. But there's a reality that the only place that you can actually meet with God is in this present moment. Seems obvious, but that is the invitation. Right now, in this space, God, what are you doing? And so Paul's on the boat. He knows the history, his history with God. He knows the future of where he's going with God. But God has to show up and speak to him in the actual moment. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Are you familiar with this passage? Have you seen this one before? 
I have, I think I've always read this backwards. And it hit me. I think I've always read it. Commit your plans to the Lord, and then your actions will succeed. The execution of what you do will succeed. And he's actually saying the opposite here. He's saying, put your full weight on me. Commit to doing. There is, there's an active uh, idea behind this that God works with movement. We have to actually take a step of faith sometimes. So commit your doing, trust in your actions, and then you become somebody who makes wise plans. Isn't that interesting? As we step out in faith, we can then discern, was that right? No, need to change the plan a little bit. Need to make a better plan next time. So there is an idea here of when we are hearing God's voice, make a decision. Just try something on. I don't know if God's telling me to do this. We'll step toward it, see if it is, right? And I really think that God can course correct you. That's what we're seeing in this text. The sailors have plans. They're doing their thing. God knows where they're ultimately going. They're kind of trying to do the opposite. But God is course correcting that entire story. You know, so an example from my own life is I really felt like I was potentially being called to higher education and to go back to school, to do doctoral work, to get a PhD and teach and research. And it was an infuriating process in a lot of ways because I had, I had heard God tell me no many, many times. Like I would pray about it. I'd say, God, do you want me to do this? And he'd say, no. I'd say, okay, no problem. Put it down then all of this desire would well back up in me and I would begin to notice that I would feel consolation when I thought about being in the academic setting. There were, there were things about that that were inviting. It felt like who I was created to be and so I would move toward it again. I would, I would say yes to the small thing, take a step, research programs. Okay, I did that. Yes, God, should I meet with my colleagues who have more information about this to get their insight on the experience? Yes, take another step. Should I talk to my professors to see if we can work out some sort of um, dual university agreement where I can do half my classes here and half my classes there? Because again, the circumstances weren't looking clear and it wasn't going to be easy for me to do this uh, because I would have to move and be away from Amos and leave our church and it, it just seemed crazy. But I said, should I look at trying to commute? God said, yes. Take another step. Okay, this sounds crazy. Ultimately, I ended up meeting for a pre-interview with an academic advisor, and in that moment, I just realized, this actually isn't what I want. I don't want to fight for intellectual property. I don't want this lifestyle. And that's not a slam on any of you who are actually in higher education, who are professors. It's an amazing thing to do. But God was speaking to me specifically in that moment, this is not what I have for you. I need to course correct. I need to redirect your life, right? But it took all those yeses and all those subtle ways of making motion and movement in my life towards something to ultimately realize that wasn't where I was supposed to go. So often those steps look vague to us, right? He says to Paul, 
just stay on the ship. He doesn't actually tell them like how you're going to get there. He just says, stay on the ship and you will not die. And the people traveling with you won't die either. But you have to stay on the ship. He doesn't give a lot of specifics. In fact, I, th I think it's funny in here. It says, Paul gets the crew together and he says, hey guys, we should eat something. And you're like, why did they include that in the story? But it's a really tangible example of just do the next thing. What's in front of you? Like you need strength for the journey to do the next thing to follow God's voice and follow his will. So eat some food, right? Be alert to what is in front of you. Just do the next thing. All right. Another thing we can see in this text is that God's guidance will often involve risk. So I don't want you to think of this as like, God wants me to be a daredevil. Okay. We're not talking about impulsivity. We're talking about wisdom. And those are different. And so to Paul and everyone on the ship, the messenger that comes says, take courage. Meaning this is risky. You're staking your actual life on this journey, but take courage. It's going to take courage to hear God's voice and do what he says. Do you realize that? Have you experienced that in your life? That when it's actually God speaking, there's a, some amount of fear and trembling sometimes in what he's asking us to do. And we actually need courage to move forward in that. So courage to risk in financially backing a business venture that maybe will flop. Or courage to have that hard conversation with your boss where you potentially could get fired for doing the right thing. These things actually take some courage. But I also want you to know there's courage that's needed to look inside too, to do the internal work. So often, when I'm not hearing from God, I have to stop and say, am I just afraid to? Like, do I not want to sit down and actually have to look at the hard stuff in my life and the places that I am selfish and prideful and don't actually want to do what he says? Right? So it's an interesting thing. We're like, God, I need you to speak to me, but I don't want you to speak to me because if you're going to tell me hard things, then I'm out. That is real in my life. And I think this story shows us there is risk in vulnerability. There is risk in being known. There is risk in going out on this sea venture. So if you feel like you're supposed to do something that will require risk, it might be God. Is that helpful? To know, like, if you're feeling that tension, it actually might be God. All right, this last principle is probably my favorite and one of the hardest. And I want to show you this verse, verse 30, if we can put that up. So it says, then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. So again, we've got sailors on the boat, we've got soldiers on the boat, and we have Paul. The sailors are the ones who actually know what they're doing. They know how to steer the catamaran. They know how to tack. And they are trying to make an exit plan. So that's not a good sign. If the only people on the ship who know how to use it are like, abort, this is not going well, right? The sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat, pretending that like they were going to put anchors down, and Paul says, you will all die unless the sailors stay on board. 
So then the soldiers, it's not the sailors who cut the ropes, it's the soldiers. The soldiers are like, well, I don't want to go down with them. The soldiers come and cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. So I want you to think about that for a minute. Isn't that interesting? God here is saying the very thing that you've put on, on board with you as your rescue option, as your last option, is the thing that would lead to your death. The very thing that looks like it's supposed to save you is going to kill you if you get in it. And I just think this is significant for us, guys, because what I think this is illustrating is the, the idea of disordered attachments. And that is a term that St. Ignatius uses to basically describe anything that we are excessively desiring or excessively trying to avoid can be two opposite ends of the spectrum. And the crazy thing about disordered attachments, things that we become too attached to, is that they appear helpful in your life. So this is going to take some digging, right? This lifeboat appears to be designed to be helpful to me in this situation. But I am a planner just like these sailors. And planning is not bad in and of itself. Planning is a good thing to do. But when I am excessively attached to this need to get things organized, to get it in order, to make sure everything is done correctly and goes as planned, I get critical, I get judgmental, I get prideful. Basically, I've attached something good, the planning, to my need to be competent, to my need to be safe and secure. And so what happens in the story is they cut the ropes and they're actually more free then to move toward the destination, to move toward the thing that God is calling them to. But it takes a severing of this disordered attachment. I think that the most striking thing to me in this story, though, is not necessarily about the ways that God guides us, rather This is showing us how do I become the person who can easily be led by God? How do I become someone who can hear the voice of God? Not necessarily it's good to know how he speaks and how he guides, but ultimately we have to be the kind of person who can be led by Jesus' voice. And Paul, again, here is the best model for this. And I'm not sure if you caught this, when the messenger shows up to tell Paul what to do, this is what it says, an angel of God shows up to him, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, and he stood beside me. So Paul starts by making a declaration of whose he belongs to. He says, I know, I am convinced that I belong to God, and I'm convinced that he will not abandon me. And this is pretty significant because this is his third shipwreck, you guys. Like, he has done this. I'm like, are you kidding me? We're going to get him in the boat again after this has not gone well twice and do it again. So it looks nuts. It looks absolutely insane to an outside eye. If you are not so, so convinced Like, I belong to God, so I will do what he says, even if it appears crazy, is not logical, is paradoxical, 
takes risk, takes courage. And I don't have an easy solution for how you all can become convinced at this gut level of the love of God for you other than showing up, being faithful, and having it be this journey that you walk out. You know, sometimes we have to put ourselves in situations where we are utterly convinced that God has abandoned us just to discover that it's not true, right? You, you actually have to be in this place of desperation saying, I don't see you. I'm pretty sure you've turned your back on me. And that is actually the way that we become convinced that he hasn't. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. But I think that's, in, when I look at my life, that's how it has been. You know, and then the next thing he says, this messenger is the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve. So what is that a declaration of? Here we're hearing Paul say, my priorities are in line. I'm either serving my own kingdom or I'm serving God's kingdom. And he says, I know who I serve. It's a declaration of his loyalty, of his commitment. He is saying, I'm all in, essentially. So if you want to be somebody who hears the voice of God, there really is something to just showing up to saying, I will do what you say even if it's hard. I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm committed to your mission. I'm committed to staying in the game. Just that declaration of alone will help you hear God's plan for you. And the last thing here is, do you notice he says, this messenger is from the God to whom I belong, to whom I serve, and who stood beside me. I sometimes, sometimes have experiences where I feel like God is way out there and his voice is really loud and booming and he is speaking to me from afar. But I would say more often than not, when I hear the voice of God, it is as if he is standing beside me. And that really is when we read all over the New Testament, God gives us his Holy Spirit and he's the one who comes alongside. So he actually is traveling this journey with you. He's on the path with you. He is beside you and, and there's a closeness in that. So to recognize God's voice is to recognize his presence and it's close to you. Remember that it is close to you. So you and I can be assured of God's presence in our life because Jesus went to the cross. That is the only reason we can do this. And he said, Jesus said, I'm going through the ultimate storm of separation from God so that you never have to, so that you have assurance so that you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I am with you, that you will never be cut off from my love. I mean, another way of saying that is like, God is always available, you guys. So if you are oriented toward God, if you have said, I want to grow in faith, hope, and love, I want to hear your voice, God, know that you are actually in the process of learning how to do that. You are, you're doing it. You are being navigated. You are being led through life, if that is your posture. And to the degree that you know and understand and believe that God won't abandon you, that is where the faith to step out and do the next thing comes from. That's the only way, guys, that I can stay engaged in hard things 
and keep showing up and keep doing it and trust that God is going to work this out for my good is because I am becoming more and more convinced of the love of God for me. Okay? And so in this series, we're going we're gonna to close this out. We've been doing practices. We've been creating space right here, right now, in the present moment for you to hear from God. And this is exciting. This has been so fun to try different things to engage with God. And they don't all work, right? Maybe, you know, you have certain practices or certain ways of connecting with God that we haven't yet shown you here in church, and that's all right. Keep exploring. Keep showing up. Say, God, I want to hear from you. Show me a way that I can make this real to me. But one of the things that we're going to try this morning is called Lectio Divina, and that just means divine reading. And it is a practice where we slow down and we engage with the text and the scripture in a repetitive way. And essentially, you're doing this because repetition leads you from your left brain to your right brain. Did you know that? So I, am, I tend to be very left-brained, but when I do things like read the same text over and over or paint or do something that is very same task over and over and over. I find I move out of the space of like trying to figure it out in my head into the space of what am I feeling? What are my desires? What is God speaking to me about? So we're going to try that here today. And we're just going to use a text that is about hearing God's voice. And God has been described, or Jesus has been described as the good shepherd. And so in this text, you're, you all get to be referred to as sheep. I <laughs> know, oh, not, a, not a glamorous uh, identity necessarily, but so, so true. So settle into a, a stillness, a quiet posture. Close your eyes if you need to, to stay focused. And I'm just going to read this text four different times. And then after each reading, I'll give you a probe or a question to sit with. And we're just going to try this out. So this is from John 10. And Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. So right now, ask God, what are you saying to me in this moment? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. What word or phrase jumps out to you? 
Just linger with that a minute. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. And now ask God, what do you want to say to me right now, God? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. What do you want to say to God right now? As the worship team is coming up, just allow yourself to rest in God's presence. Just be open to what he might want to say to you right now. And we'll continue to hear from him through worship. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.